So we're continuing our series in the parables. We have this week and next week, and uh, both weeks are going to deal with the issue of um, eternal hell. And it's not something that we like to really talk about all the time, but it's something that the Bible does teach about. So today it's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, some have suggested that this is a real account and not a parable, but there's various reasons why most theologians and I believe that it is a parable, and I'm going to point that out as we continue to study today. So the topic at hand is really twofold, and there are the reality of hell and the fact that people will still reject Jesus even though they have the word of God to point them to him. So let's look at Luke 16, starting in verse 19. It says this, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even dogs came and licked his sores. So we have two men here. One man is very rich and his name is not given. And then we have another man who is very poor and his name actually is given, and his name is Lazarus. Interestingly enough, in other parables that Jesus spoke, no one else has ever been named with a proper name. But many believe that this parable might not be a parable because Lazarus actually has a name. In all the other parables, there's no other proper name, so some would suggest that this is actually a true account because this guy actually has a name. But most would agree the reason the name is given is because the name actually has a deeper meaning, and the meaning of the name Lazarus is whom the Lord has helped. And we're going to see in this parable exactly how the Lord has helped this man, Lazarus. So the rich man in the parable would have been recognized in that culture as blessed by God and being rewarded for being a good person. This man was respected. He was probably religious in that he followed the cultural norms of the religion, of the Jewish religion of that day. And because of his high position, he was probably revered by everyone who knew him. So basically in that culture, because he was rich and well-to-do and highly respected, people thought, okay, this guy is evidently blessed by God. But then on the other hand, we have this poor guy, and the poor people of that day were seen as cursed and cast off from society. Poor people were thought to be paying for some sort of sin that they have committed, and they were by and large looked down on. So you have this cultural thing going on here. Very wealthy, respected, revered. People think, okay, that guy is obviously blessed by God. Then we have poor, looked down on by society. That guy is obviously not blessed by God. So let's see what happens. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades being in torment. So they both die. Lazarus was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, which would be known as heaven, and the rich man is in Hades, which would be known as hell in torment. Now, one thing I want to point out is notice it doesn't say when the poor man Lazarus died that he was buried. 
But when we look at the rich man, it says he actually was buried. And that was the reason why is wealthy and notable people of that day would have proper burials, but poor, cast off by society people would not have proper burials. So the scene essentially now in this parable is hell for the rich man. So that's, it's, it's away from God, cast off. So this is what happens. It says, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Now, this is really key of how we know this parable is not an actual event, and it's just a parable. Why would I say that? Well, this is the only place in all of scriptures that would lead us to believe that people in hell can actually see people in heaven. Now, of course, it would make hell that much worse if the people that were there could see what they're missing out on. But when we really think about it, I think that goes against what God's character is. Like, I don't think God is a God who would look and say, ha ha, look, this is what you could have had, but you, you don't have it because you rejected me. It would go against God's character, but more than that, it actually goes against all the descriptions of hell in the scriptures. This is something that we need to always remember. If there is a scripture that stands alone, that may imply or teach something that is kind of foreign to what the rest of the scriptures teach, you actually have to do some investigation, okay? There's like a saying that you know, I learned when I was in school. They said, if the plain sense makes perfect sense, seek no other sense, okay? If the plain sense makes perfect sense, seek no other sense. Well, the plain sense here doesn't make perfect sense, so we have to seek another sense. We have to figure out what's going on here. So hell is described in the scriptures as outer darkness, a place of total isolation, of alienation from heaven, everlasting destruction and away from the Lord. Here's a brief list, just a brief list. This is not all encompassing of scriptures that teach that. Matthew 8, 12, Matthew 22, 13, Matthew 25, 30, 2 Peter 2, 17, Jude 13, 2 Thessalonians 1, 9. Just to name a few. Obviously, I know you didn't write all those down, but the truth is, is everything that we learn about hell in those scriptures is isolation, outer darkness. There's no, no implication that people in hell can see what's going on in heaven. So now we see here this is obviously a parable illustration that Jesus uses to capture people's attention. So let's, let's move on. So this concept of seeing and knowing what is going on in heaven by people that are in hell is not supported in entirety by scriptures. So the logical explanation is that this is a parable to grab people's attention. And to think and, and that to grab people's attention and basically get them to start thinking about what eternity looks like apart from God. So what happens next actually pieces together the mindset and the theology that the people had about wealthy and prominent people. Remember, this is cultural. What's going on here? Wealthy, influential people were seen to be blessed by God. Poor people were seen to be cursed by God. So obviously, if a wealthy, influential person dies, of course, they were gonna, they're going to continue to walk in that blessing of God. And if a poor person dies, obviously, they're going to continue to be cursed. So that was the mindset. So now look, listen to what happens. In verse 24, it says this, And he called out, 
the rich man, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in the water to cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like matter seemed received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. So now basically the rich man wanted some comfort and relief, but the answer from Abraham is that you lived a life of comfort. And because your focus was comfort and feasting sumptuously daily, you paid no real attention to your spiritual need. You get that? Because this man was wealthy and had a lot and was revered and respected and had all his needs met, all of a sudden, now he's not paying any attention to his deep spiritual need. Now, Abraham is saying you missed your opportunity to have faith in God, and because of that, you ended up in hell, away from God. Now, Lazarus, on the other hand, did not have comfort in his earthly life. And because of that, it caused him to seek God and dependence in faith in God, which evidently he had because the result was when he passed, he was carried to heaven. This in no way, I just want to make mention of this because people misinterpret things. This in no way is teaching every rich and comfortable person will be miserable for eternity and every poor and miserable person here will be comforted for eternity. This is not teaching that at all, okay? Because that would go against the gospel. This is challenging the theology of that day that taught if you had riches, you're blessed by God and found favor with him. And if you're poor, you're cursed and you have not found favor with God. In fact, in this man's case, his riches actually got in the way of him seeing his real need for a relationship with God. Now, that doesn't mean anybody who's well-to-do or wealthy or prominent does not see their spiritual need, but in that culture, that was a general way of looking at things. They just focused on their things and their prominence and figured, I must be blessed. There's nothing more that I have to pay attention to. So then Abraham says, and besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. So this is describing the separation between God and those that rejected him. You have heard me say this before as I preach the gospel. When I preach the gospel, right, I talk about sin. We're all sinners in need of a savior. Jesus is that Savior who died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Jesus rose from the grave to prove that he is God, and he tells us all who believe will have eternal life. Well, the second part of that really is this. All who do not believe will be eternally separated from God. Now, this is when we start to see the realization and emotion. Now, let's really think about this parable. We start to see the realization and emotion. The rich man realized his demise was in hell, eternal separation from God. Nothing in this parable, now notice this, nothing in this parable tells us this man was a horrible man. Okay, I mean, maybe it insinuates he did not show kindness to Lazarus because he was laying outside of his gate. And it doesn't say the rich man walked out and said, hey, let me clean you up and bring you inside and give you something to eat. It doesn't say anything like that. But other than that, this guy was just a wealthy guy enjoying life and not paying attention 
to any spiritual things. Now, this really describes many people today. Maybe it describes you. Not necessarily overly wealthy people, but people that just enjoy life and pay no attention to God. I mean, maybe most of the people that you know are just like that. Enjoy, enjoy life and pay no real attention to God. They feel they're good people, but sadly, they'll be surprised to find out that because they were not willing to admit the reality of sin in their lives and their need for a savior, their ultimate demise will be eternal separation from God in hell. Because the scriptures tell us that we're all sinners in need of a savior. So the reality sets in for this rich man. But now he also realizes, I have five brothers and they're going to end up here too because they lived exactly like me, paying no attention to their spiritual need. So then in verse 27, he says this, Then I beg you, Father, to send to him my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So he had concern for his family, probably because he knew that they were just like him, people that ignore their need for God. So here's Abraham's answer. It says, But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And now in this short statement, Abraham's telling him, he said, listen, they have exactly what you have and what you ignored. Moses and the prophets, meaning they have God's holy word to learn about the truths of life, to learn about the truths of salvation, to learn about the truths of the afterlife. They have all that. You had all that and you ignored it. So the rich man says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Well, it sounds reasonable, right? Somebody rises from the dead, that kind of wakes people up, doesn't it, right? If you went to a funeral and the person rose from the dead, you'd be like, whoa, what's going on here? Okay, I better start paying attention. Of course, if someone raises from the dead, they will realize they need, there is a God and they need to trust God. Now, repent means to change mind, okay? So he's saying, if someone rises from the dead, they're going to change their mind. They're going to wake up. But here is how Abraham responds. Verse 31, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will be the, they will be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now, this is heavily loaded. We're going to spend some time here. This is a heavily loaded answer because it is teaching that if someone is not willing to take heed to what the word of God says, no miracle will be sufficient to convince them. Okay, That's what this answer is saying. No miracle is going to be sufficient to convince them if they ignore what the word of God says. So let's take this to today and the miracles we see and witness daily, and many have ignored that they are from God. Not only have they ignored that they are from God, but they attribute the miracles to something else. I'm going to name a few. The first miracle that we see every single day we're sitting in right now, right? Creation, created things. The way this earth and the sun and the solar system work is truly a miracle, isn't it? The way seasons change. All this stuff is truly a miracle. These are things we take for granted every single day, but they're truly miracles. 
And what have people done? Well, it's all by chance. The created, the created world, it's all by chance, okay? There was an explosion. Everything just kind of came together by chance and worked out to be this creation. The next is the miracle of life. Animal life, human life, the way the human body and mind is designed to work and reproduce, truly a miracle. Every day we see people, right? Look around. The person sitting next to you, they are a miracle from God, the miracle of life. If you ever look into somebody's eye, like the human eye, and watch it just blink and move and everything, it's just a miracle. But what has man done? Oh, it's by chance. Evolution. You know, it's just kind of worked out, okay? Think about this for a second. I mean, it sounds so ridiculous that people would attribute these two things, creation of the natural creation and also human life to chance or evolution. It's a miracle from God. People are ignoring these things every single day. Next miracle is the miracle of modern medicine. The fact that humans have the intelligence to figure out how to treat and in some senses eradicate certain diseases is a true, it's a miracle. Well, what has man done? Attribute it all to human intelligence. People are smart and they figured things out. Well, guess where they got that smarts from, so to speak? Guess where they got that brain from, okay? We have a creator who created that. How could that possibly happen? How could we be so intelligent if this was all by chance? Now, these are miracles we witness every day. And guess what? Those things do not generally wake people up and make them look for, to God. Actually, Romans 1 says they should, but it also says that they don't, okay? They should, but they don't. So in a case in which someone were to rise from the dead, that will do it, right? I mean, somebody rising from the dead, well, it hasn't for many people because I know someone who did rise from the dead. His name is Jesus. And people still don't believe. But Abraham's statement is loaded in another way. When Jesus told this parable, he was talking to the Pharisees and challenging their unbelief. So this rich man and his brothers, in some senses, represent the Pharisees, okay? The fact that Jesus was going around preaching the word of God, preaching the kingdom of God, and they were not believing. They were rejecting. Now, you might recognize the name Lazarus. When you hear Lazarus, you're probably wondering, is that the Lazarus? Is that the same Lazarus that was risen from the dead? Well, a few months after Jesus told this parable, now, Lazarus was a real person. He wasn't the same Lazarus from this parable. But a few months after, a few months after Jesus told this parable, a man named Lazarus actually dies. The account is found in John 11. And in that account, Lazarus dies. His sisters Martha and Mary bury him. And Jesus arrives on the scene and finds out about his death mourns with them, cries with them. That's where we find that Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35. Then Jesus goes down to the tomb in which Lazarus has been dead for four days and raises him from the dead. 
Now you would think at this point, Jesus raising someone from the dead, many of the Pharisees would be like, I think this guy's the real deal, okay? He just literally rose somebody from the dead. Sadly, they did not. And in fact, the opposite happened because at the end of John 11 in verse 53, it says this, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. From that day on, they made plans to put, like, we got to snuff this guy out. Okay, we can't have somebody raising people from the dead around here. That's just crazy stuff. So the truth is, when people reject the very word that God has spoken, they will not believe in the reality of hell. They'll not see their need for a savior. And by and large, miracles will not convince them either. So the truth is, when you talk about things like hell and the reality of the hell and need for a savior, basically people will reject it. And part of the reason why is they've been rejecting the very words of God most, if not all, of their lives. So this is why there is an attack on the word of God from skeptics. This is why Christians are oftentimes deceived into thinking the word of God is not important. They preach and teach self-help and man's philosophies rather than the very word of God. This is why Satan and his demons want to keep believers from studying the word of God. The word of God is full of power. In Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, it says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. See, this is why we as Christians and as a church need to see the word as primary to our lives. And as the scripture teaches in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You know, when you come here to church every Sunday, you hear a message from the word of God. I'll be the first to admit, I got nothing for you, but God's word has everything for you. So you hear the word of God so that it increases your faith. And guess what? When people reject the word of God, they reject God, essentially, because they're saying he has nothing to say to me. I don't believe in all this. So we're called, as Christians, right, to bring the core message of the word of God, which is the gospel. We're called to bring that to the people all around us so they come to the realization that they need Jesus as their savior. And the cold hard truth is, if they don't trust him, there's a reality that they will face when they pass from this earth. So the parable of the rich man and Lazarus is a wake-up call to say, this is the reality that you will face if you don't trust in Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day, Lord. We're thankful for the beauty of your creation. And we know that when we look and see your creation and all these things, that it should wake us up. 
but oftentimes it doesn't. But you've spoken directly to us through your word. So we pray, Lord, that we wake up, we spend time in your word, we realize the reality of everything that your word teaches. We realize the implications of what it has for our lives and the lives of the people that we love. We pray, Lord, for the people around us that don't know you, that they would wake up to the reality of eternal separation from you, and they would realize that you are so loving and desire them to come to you and have given them the truth of your gospel message that you will save them and us from our sins. So I pray, Lord, that we would be woken up to realize that the people around us need to know this. And if there's anyone here that doesn't truly trust it and doesn't know that you are the Savior, that they would trust in you. In your precious name we pray. Amen.